Welcome to the Nicholas Natalie Show, where we chat with entrepreneurs, experts, and entertainers to help you live a more fulfilling life and take your business to the next level. Today, we're chatting with Avidis Intaplion. Avidis Intaplion is the founder and CEO of HireCloud, an Inc. 5000 fastest growing company. HireCloud provides premier global tech recruiting and consulting services, hiring tech professionals for Sony, PlayStation, Uber, Hulu, OpenTable, Shipped, and the Trade Desk. He is an award-winning CEO, advisor, investor, entrepreneur, family man and go-giver. People are giving him awards for being a family man. That is insane. He's one of my favorite people. I have a tremendous amount of respect and admiration for how he operates. Before we dive in, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and share this episode with a friend that you know would benefit from it. These shares and reviews help me reach out to guests, which in turn bring more value to you on how to live a fulfilling life. Riddle of the week, what did one wall say to the other? Stay tuned to the end of the episode to find out. That was the intro. Now, here is the episode. Very excited you're here, and here's where I want to start. Starting back in 07, you became the Senior Director of Operations for Kaplan, which is a Fortune 500 company. From there, you moved on to work at the Mitchell Group, and you did so well there that you ended up co-founding HireClout with Jeff Mitchell, the former CEO of the Mitchell Group. Walk me through how you went from Senior Director of Operations at Kaplan to ending up founding HireClout with your former CEO? Great, uh, great question as always, Nicholas. So uh, <laughs> so I was at Kaplan for years. Um, I started as a actual assistant director and worked my way up into a senior director where I managed several different centers and regions. I managed the what they called the Southern California North region, which was a lot of fun. I learned a lot. I did a lot. I felt good. I was treated well, but eventually the kind of entrepreneurial bug came, came to me, right? And uh, and I decided that I, I, I no longer wanted to be in the corporate world. Mm-hmm. And I needed to leave Kaplan because I was kind of tired of the kind of the bureaucracy that you typically deal with uh, and the red tape you deal with at big Fortune 500 companies. Yeah. Um, I wasn't actually personally ready to start a company, right? Both financially and I was only 20, maybe 26 years old. So I wasn't mentally ready. Yeah. So instead I joined Jeff Mitchell who had been the founder of the Mitchell Group and he had owned a, a successful boutique recruiting uh, tech recruiting firm. But unfortunately, throughout the several recessions, he had, you know, the, the business was struggling a little bit. And and he had gone to Jessica, one of my senior, one of the directors that managed our Westlake Center, uh, and his kids attended their K-12 uh, division. Yeah. And uh, he said, hey, I need someone to help me rebuild my business. Who do you know? And she said, actually, my boss is on his way out. So I got an introduction to Jeff and I told Jessica, hey, I'm actually already uh, picking between two offers. She said, no, 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 you you have to meet Jeff. He's great. So I met Jeff. I liked him. And basically what I told him is, hey, at this point in my career, I don't want to just be a recruiter, right? I want to build a business. I want to rebuild this thing. I think it's got great bones. Yeah. Are you going to get out of the way and uh, let me rebuild it? (laughs) And Jeff's such a no ego guy that... um, he said, I'd love to. In fact, I need that. Um, who does that, right? Who, yeah. who sees a stranger who's telling him, hey, Mr. Successful Guy who's built this successful business, are you going to get out of the way so I could make your business better? Uh, I look back at some of the crap that I said. It, it makes me laugh uh, at, at this point in my career. But it was a gutsy move. Um, it was an interesting move because I came in. Things were great. I started 
uh, interviewing my former directors to come and work for me. And then the recession happened Ooh. of 2008 and nine. And so we struggled like hell for the next two years. Um, long story short, I worked my butt off for the next two, three years. Uh, we rebuilt the Mitchell group. We grew it a little bit. I actually became an owner in the Mitchell group. Nice. And which is really cool. Again, Jeff's no ego guy. He wanted me to be happy. He wanted me to stick around. And at that point, I had grown most of the business was business that I had built over the years. And uh, eventually I got kind of the itch to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and Jeff said, let's do it. You know, what do you need? You need more equity. What do you And I said, no, Jeff, this is your baby. Yeah. I love it, but it's your baby. I want mm-hmm. my own baby. Yeah. He said, well, let's do it. To, let's do it together. Yeah. Um, let's do it together. Let's and make again, a baby. We, yeah. You know, and uh, that's funny. It's actually a really clever way to look at it. Weird, but yeah. funny. Um, so, again, Jeff and I have a really good trusting relationship, and that's not easy to find in business. A lot of times partners are trying to. Uh, one up each other and that's not the relationship we had so Mm -hmm. I said why not here's a guy who technically got me into the business of tech recruiting and um, I'm not a greedy guy I absolutely want to do it so we we built HireCloud in I believe it was about 2005 Uh, we built it from scratch with some of the resources we had Mm. we had an amazing employee in Phoenix we asked her to go full-time and asked her to, to, to move to LA. Um, we took some of the some of the small few pieces of technologies and servers and things like that, and we started HireCloud. We moved offices to make it official. We hired people, um, and that's how we, we did this. Man, that is incredible. Such a crazy journey. I love that he was no ego and, and let you into everything. Absolutely. You're 26, you get the entrepreneurial bug. What do you think was outside of the finances, the limiting factor to you of like, I know I'm not ready. There was some self-awareness there of like, I want to join something. I don't want to start from scratch. What do you think it was? That's a really good, valid question. I think, you know, it was really driven by one, the financial piece. And two, you know, although I had done recruiting for my own team at Kaplan and I had worked with recruiting firms to hire people at Kaplan for me, um, and I had worked with internal recruiters, I really didn't know the business. That's, uh, you know, I didn't know ton of, a ton about the business, so it would actually be crazy for me to, to start a business in that industry. Now, I could have started other companies, but again, the financial yeah. um, maturity, to be honest, and the, frankly, looking back, the emotional and the, the, the knowledge base wasn't there. Uh, at 26, 27, I don't care how, how smart you think you are, and I definitely thought I was smart. Um, looking back, you, you know, 13, 14, 15 years, you go, no way was I smart enough or had the, the, the readiness to do that. Even the emotional uh, capacity to do it at that age uh, was not there. So that's why I went that route. And it was, it was a very smart decision, although a very rough, rough one, to be honest. Yeah, I imagine revamping a business. How did you know this business had uh, good bones and where was most of the improvement needed to, to rebuild? I looked at the history of the company and how, how, um, how it had stayed in business through many uh, ups and downs and many recessions. And, uh, and that's rare because this business, if you don't do it right, you don't have the right relationships, any recession can wipe you out. So that was one signal. Yeah. Second signal was J- Jeff himself. I really liked him. I thought he was a smart guy. Um, you know, and, and I could see that he was, again, during the, the process of meeting, his openness to hearing things from a guy that was a successful business person 
but didn't know anything about the industry for him to be that open-minded to be able to open up his yeah. his mindset his books his thought process and show me and also they had a couple couple good clients at the time and and uh some good business practices and basically they had with withstood several recessions which told me that there, there's something there and speaking of recessions a market downturn one of your favorite books is never lose a customer again wow. and during covid you would reach out to your clients send care packages send masks and gloves and stay in touch with them to ensure they were doing all right this focus on relationships trickles into your entire business what strategies do you use to never lose a good customer again you have done your research mr nicholas <laughs> Yep. Um, I got my binoculars I outside your it, window. Man. Watch, watch I, everything. I mean, really, really thoughtful, <laughs> thoughtful question. Thank you for that. So, first of all, one of my absolute favorite books is is uh, is The Go Giver, and funny enough, The Go Giver mm. is Sell More. I think was the book one of the, the smartest books I've ever read because when I read it, it wasn't a to do thing for me. It wasn't like, oh, this is a good idea. I should do this. All it did yeah. is it it like it made me think, oh my God, this is actually why people like doing business with me. It confirmed that the way that yeah. I do business is the right way to do business. And it made me feel comfortable. And for the first time, you know, the uh, what's the syndrome, the uh, imposter syndrome, I think it is. Because you always uh -huh. wonder, like, mm -hmm. what what is it? What is it that people think I'm so special? Right? I'm just a, I'm just a guy, right? I just I work pretty hard, yeah. but I don't. When I read that book, it really hit me, right? It hit me that it's not about go getters, because go getters go and get what they want and they move on. And yeah, I mean, they do well for themselves, but I've never seen them 10x their lives or 10x their, their careers. Mm -hmm. So I realized the way I do it is I go and give, and I don't think about receiving anything. Yeah. So during the COVID shutdown, I was thinking about like, what can we do to, uh, to, to, to make our clients smile, right? And, uh, and so one of the things at the time that was missing is gloves and masks. I don't know if you remember that. No one, mm -hmm. no one could get it. Mm -hmm. And I was talking yeah. to my cousin in New York and he says, hey man, I have access to gloves and, and masks. Do you want them? I was like, dude, send me as many boxes as you want. He goes, seriously, I go, everything. He goes, they're expensive. I said, send it to me. My employees could use it. Yeah, yeah. So I brought it in for my employees and for, my, for the clients. And my wife and I actually sat there and we created care packages for every one of our clients. And I had met a, a really cool author the week before at an event, uh, I think the book was Bring Your Whole Self to Work or something like this, or We're In It Together, mm. sorry. We're In It Together, really yeah. cool author, really authentic yeah. dude. I asked him to sign every single book, you know, to Nicholas, awesome. we're in it together, yeah. let us know. And we packaged yeah. this thing, we put it together and we sent it off one by one to our clients. And I got, I got the really ni nicest responses, a lot of thank yous. And one of the most interesting thank yous was from a, from a guy that said, hey, thank you so much, I was very thoughtful. But we, we don't have any, we can't give you any business right now, you know, with the downturn. And, and I kind of laughed. I was yeah. like, I was like, dude, I didn't do this to get business. Like, I didn't do this for yeah. anything except just, just thanking you for all the, you know, being there all the time. And as a, hey, man, like, look out for yourself. Here's some clothes and masks, you know, don't, don't, uh, don't get sick from COVID. But it was hilarious. He was like, oh. Oh, thanks, Dan. And it was like a <laughs> thumbs up, you know. Yeah. And uh, funny enough, a year later, he was he became one of our the client the company he went to became one of our biggest clients. And again, this is and that's awesome. And this is this is how you do business in, in my world. It's all about just 
giving and getting out of the way. There is no agenda. There is no, if I give this, then therefore, I expect a 10% yeah. response rate. In a, but I don't, <laughs> literally, I don't care. Um, and this is how I do business. I hired one of my now absolute best managers through giving. You know, I speak at CSUN, mm. I give, and uh, again, one of my best guys, Maxwell, says, why do you do this to yourself? Why are you, why are you so, and I, I see, he's like, what do you gain from this? I said, nothing. It's just impact, yeah. dude. I just enjoy giving back. And somehow I met this incredible person through the, the program, and she ends up being hired by us, and she's been incredible so far. This is how I roll. This is how I do business. So it's all about relationships. You do what's right for them at that time. You don't think about yourself. Now, you got to protect your business. you got to obviously make money to feed your, your employees and their families, but the way I approach it is, let's just let's just do business, man. Let's just take care of each other, and it'll all come come back. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love the idea of sending a care package to someone and being like, you know what? If I don't get a ten percent return on this care package, I'm, I'm done. Out. That's so ridiculous. Exactly. Yeah, I'm done. I have a friend of mine. His name's Alex, and he always says, "Do things that don't scale." And what he means by that, like you're saying, like you go and do a, a speech or a presentation to make an impact and help other people. And that's like not a scalable thing for your business, but it's impactful. And same with the care packages. I think you're dead on. Like that's a true testament of how we should be doing business because ultimately, like we're all still humans, you know, at the end of the day, we're still trying to take care of one another. Absolutely. Here's something else I got for you. You have an office based in LA. You got an office based in San Francisco. And I know you have your eyes on setting up shop in Seattle, Austin, and New York. I don't know if you've already done one or a few of them or none of them. What obstacles come along with opening offices in locations far away from the home base and how do you do it? Great. Very good question. The strategy changed and some of the data changed actually, Nicholas. So oh, hey. the, the original office, the original mindset was we were a Southern California business. Um, and then we set up shop in, in San Francisco, but it was more of a, it was not a boots on, uh, on ground strategy. The idea was to mm. start with a team based in Los Angeles doing business in San Francisco Bay Area uh, and then eventually setting up an office. Then it was supposed to be Austin, Seattle, and New York. Basically, the concept would be we would be there, uh, not physically, and then based on how well we did from the LA office, built teams uh, with boots on the ground. However, COVID changed everything. And so during COVID, we realized with the, the shutdown that regions no made no sense anymore. There was no such thing as regions. And frankly, boots on the ground, although it's nice to have, was no longer a necessity. It no longer mattered where you were physically. However, a, a, you think that's far, uh, far reaching. We actually have teams in Armenia, uh, which is a little country in Eastern Europe, wow. in India. And uh, we have a oh my tiny little team in Colombia. In South America. So, no way. Absolutely. So, we started with an office in Armenia, but then during COVID, we shut that down and now everybody works remote. Um, everybody in India is remote. Everybody lives in different regions, so it would make no sense to have an office. And then, uh, Colombia, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's one gentleman, and then eventually we're going to scale that. Um, it is challenging. It is no joke because you, the key yeah. though, is you have to have the right leader in those locations. 
So in Armenia, I have mm-hmm. I have not one but several great people that in their own capacity lead. But we have an amazing operations uh, manager who basically does everything. Uh, so we have a trustworthy leader, boots on the ground. In India, we have a tremendous leader who is not only hired and built and, and created systems, but he actually no, referred every single employee that works there. It's people he's worked with for 10, 15 years. So great history. Yeah. In Colombia, it's someone we don't really know, but after a year, he was an absolute great choice because again, trustworthy, smart. And if we're going to scale Colombia, it'll definitely be through his connections and his know-how and his professionalism. So I absolutely believe in having boots on the ground in areas like that. And you have to have the right leader. If you don't, the whole thing will fall apart or your life will fall apart because you have to travel as much as I like. I love to travel. I'm a family guy. It'd be really tough for me to yeah. go to India, Colombia and Armenia more than <laughs> once a year at yeah. most. Even that's challenging. Man, I can only imagine. I love that it boils down to finding the right fit too, having a, a the right leader in there to make sure things go as planned. Always. It's always about people. Yeah, the people part. And in 2020, Higher Cloud was listed in LA Business Journal as number eight best places to work, which is a crazy, that's just crazy. It's crazy to make that list in general. And a tactic you employ is radical candor, a lot of honesty. And I'm curious, you know, you got leaders in all these different places, you have a bunch of teams, and obviously you have the personal touch and everything that you do. How do you balance genuinely caring about your employees while also ensuring that they perform? That's probably the... Uh the most challenging component of it, right? Because again, you do care about these people, but Radical Candor, which is another great book and a great concept more importantly, is about caring personally, right? And challenging them directly. Um, So if you've built, if you've hired the right people and you've built the right uh, expectations from the beginning and built the right relationship and they know you care about them and their career and their families, then, then, that's where radical candor comes in. Then you could say anything directly. You can mm. challenge them directly because you care about them personally. If you challenge people directly, but you don't know them, you haven't built the right to to do that, honestly, you're not gonna get as far. Yeah. Uh, and that's the biggest challenge that people face is they say, well, I'm, I'm direct, I'm blunt, and that's not what radical candor is. Yeah. Radical candor is, is about caring about people and, and challenging them to achieve what they want to achieve. And and frankly, Nicholas, sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes great people have to move on because it no longer makes sense for their careers or their families. And that's okay too, as long as while you're together, you're headed towards the same vision. How do you approach those conversations where you have to sit down? And I agree with the, uh, if you don't have a relationship, it's not going to make sense. Uh, it's like the saying, a rules without a relationship lead to rebellion. So I can only imagine like you're trying to enforce like a company policy or something like that. And they're just like, you don't even know me, man. They're like, I'm not going to do that for you. How do you approach those tough conversations and giving constructive feedback? Directly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, directly. Um, I, tie it, I tie it back to what they want to achieve. I tie it back to the vision of the company. I tie it back to uh, alignment. Uh, I want to really assess if we are aligned in our goals. And a lot of times as a leader, I take I take um, credit if things are going poorly, uh, right? Meaning it's my fault, yeah. right? At the end of the day, it's, it's my fault if something goes wrong. It means somewhere I went wrong. Even if the person is the wrong fit, it's my fault because I'm the one that hired them. Or it's my fault because they were the right person but not in the right seat. Mm-hmm. 
Sometimes we put them in the wrong seat. Sometimes we set the wrong expectations. Sometimes they expect more, less, or different. And our job is to constantly communicate that and be really, really, really open to it. So here we have uh, what we call GWC conversations, which is get it, want it, uh, capacity to do it. Wow. Um, so the concept is, does Nicholas get get his job? Does he understand what he's here to achieve? Does he want it? Does he actually want that job? So many people are like, oh, she's so talented. Yeah. He's so talented. Only if we can keep him motivated. No, no, no. We hire motivated people and make sure we don't demotivate yeah. them by not doing our part of the job. And then capacity to, to do the job is really comes down to is is it do they have the mental physical and emotional capacity it's not always are they smart enough to do the job yeah. it's about do they have the bandwidth in their life at that point of time so if you you're working on a uh, a graduate phd program and you're the smartest person i've ever worked with but you can only give me four or five hours of attention and focus doesn't matter how brilliant you are it's not going to work yeah. out and vice versa. If we hire someone amazing and we don't give them the right direction, right tools, right technologies, right structure, they're going to fail, right? So we use the GWC concept. Core value fit to us is incredibly important. Uh, we we want to make sure that every single person is a core value fit for the organization. When that's that's when that all aligns, mm -hmm. it always almost works out. And these days, those those tough conversations. Uh, I'm blessed enough to have a really good leadership mm. team. They're having those tough conversations. Uh, each one of them has have great teams that they've either either inherited or hired them, themselves, and they they do a very good job of managing them, having really honest, specific feedback. And sometimes it's not the most pleasant conversation. Sometimes the the person is no longer a fit. And that's the toughest conversation to have had, which is, hey, I don't think this is a great fit for yeah. you. I don't think you're going to have a great career based on your goals and where we see this 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 job, this role. It probably is not a fit. And that's very, very fair to them because then they can go and do what's right for them and their their careers. Yeah, man, that's so important. I love the idea of being like, do they want this job? Yeah, they could do it, but do they even want it. Are we going to even motivate them to like be successful in this role? Exactly. In line with keeping the personal touch, here's a trend that I'm seeing. A trend in the recruiting space is that they're replacing the human element with technology. For example, texting platforms so you don't have to talk to candidates. They simply get put into a system, which is great if you use it alongside the core business, but terrible if you remove the human aspect altogether. I'm going to give an example real quick, and then I'm going to ask the question. The other day, I got an automated email from a recruiter that was like a senior software engineer role. And they're like, you'd be a great fit based on your background as podcast host for senior software engineer role. And I was like, guys, <laughs> come on. I thought that was hilarious. How quickly did you press that spam button, Nicholas? <laughs> like, unsubscribe, unsubscribe. I was like, guys, you got to do better than that. But how can companies effectively use the human touch to properly vet candidates for being a good culture fit? Because I think that's where a lot of the problems end up happening as well. So first of all, that's lazy uh, right there, and it loses all credibility. That organization could be a terrific organization, and you will never take them serious, as I would never take them serious. I get those positions all the time as well. Yeah. Uh, you're a great <laughs> fit for this junior software engineer role. Yeah. Great. Let's let's talk. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. I, I think it's 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 not responsible and it's lazy uh, business, first of all, and lazy recruiting. Uh, I think you answered your own question, Nicholas. I think technology has a place. 
Um, for example, we have certain aspects of our our uh, technology that has the, some some AI matching components and maybe a little bit of the machine learning kind of c- components to it. But really, it is it is to help our recruiters be more efficient with their searches and their reach outs, never to do replace them and have them do the job. Yeah. Um, to, in hopes that I can then eventually get rid of my recruiters because they're expensive. Yeah. That's the key here. What are you trying to do, mm-hmm. right? I have zero zero goals of eliminating my recruiters with a button. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in, in return, what I ask them to do is to be great at their jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the way that I, I explain it is, if we in a few years can be replaced with a button, we're, we're not great. Yeah. Uh, same goes with real estate agents and things like that. A great realtor will always have a place based on relationships. A average or less than average recruiter, realtor, any anything will eventually be replaced by technology because it is cheaper, it is faster, it does scale. But what you end up with is a bunch of, of crap like that, right? And, uh, and eventually, basically, humans will no longer be needed. Right, which will probably lead to an 80% unemployment rate. Yeah. But, you know, a bunch of people sitting at home not working and and uh, living off of the system, I guess. So I'm a big believer in, in, in using technology to help us be more efficient, not to replace us. Hi, friends. This is Nicholas Itali. And every Friday at 6 a.m., I bring you something delicious for your ears to help you live a more fulfilling life and level up your business. And if you're tuning in right now, you know what this is. It's your sign to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Leave a review, screenshot it, share it to your Instagram, tagging me, at Nicholas Natale, so I can reshare it. We can do this together. Then send this episode to two of your friends that you think would enjoy it. All right, back to the episode. Yeah, exactly. And I think you bring up a good point about like the great in their industry, like a realtor will survive through a recession because of their skill set, their relationships, and those that rely heavily on technology, they're going to get crushed because they don't have the infrastructure or the actual like know-how to accomplish things. Absolutely. Dead on. All right. On top of all of this, you are an investor in startups. This was such a fun find. An industry you are particularly interested in is automation, AI, and robotics, which is following in line with the technology we're talking about, but robotics that fill a need for people. So what startup that you have invested in has had the strongest mission toward helping people, and how did you end up investing in that company? Wow, dude, this is really, really good stuff. Really compelling, makes me think. There's actually quite a few uh, companies I've invested in that I like. I like. Obviously, I like all of them, right? I like every what they all do, but I look at which one's most impactful from a human component. Um, there's one startup. The whole concept is it's actually a, a, an applicant platform. Funny mm-hmm. enough, right? It's kind of related to our industry, but the concept is 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 allowing people to get applicants to do an interview process that's more unbiased. Mm. So you won't necessarily see their resume. What you'll see is their workflow. Uh, I like that because what it'll do is it'll eliminate some of the biases and and even um, even help with diversity and inclusion, which I, I'm a big advocate of. Another startup is, is terrific. Basically, the concept is better posture, 
better um you know our bodies are not intended to sit in front of a computer all day Mm -hmm. so it creates issues with eyes it creates issues with posture the concept is it it watches you and it reminds you to have better posture when you're working and when you blink um that's a couple now i'm looking at some of the educational startups i really like the ed tech space because again what's the mission the mission is to help kids learn better more efficiently um and based on their styles not everybody is an auditory learner not everybody is a visual learner how do we how do we take their learning styles and 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 teach them the way that they learn when i train people at our cloud i don't just go with my own style mm-hmm. what i do is i ask them hey how do you learn best mm, yeah and based on that i'll try to customize my approach as much as possible obviously yeah. right um so these are things that that i care about you know i care about people i care about kids i care about diversity and inclusion i care about uh unbiased decision making um and anything that helps with that is a good business i think a good business to invest in yeah absolutely those are definitely great missions to be investing into what does your role end up looking like after you invest in a company like that is it they put you on a board i'm unfamiliar like is it is it as simple as i'm investing in you let me know what the results are and we'll go from there or is it like hey avitas is coming in and i'm going to tell you how to educate these kids how involved are you in those processes probably something in between so so there's uh passive investing that i do and there is there's more active investing so the passive investments are what you said right there's a pitch session uh and then there's a couple follow-up meetings uh before it used to be in person now a lot of this stuff happens there are zoom i mean most of the startups i invest in are, are actually in armenia right so you would think it's six thousand miles away and Based on those meetings, a lot of times I'll give them advice along the way. Sometimes they'll take it, sometimes they won't. But the more active investing that I do is when the company asks me to be an advisor or a board member. In that case, I am more involved. Then in that case, I might be uh, having meetings with them every every three or four weeks. Um, I ask them about what they're struggling with, what they need help with, potentially even do some introductions, although I don't love... Uh, engagements where the expectation is that I'm doing a bunch of intros. It's not my favorite. Um, I'll do it when I'm really sold on your business and I I truly find value. Uh, But a lot of times, I think the the, the most rewarding piece of uh, of someone like me is is the advice that I'll give and the guidance that I'll give. But only if I understand your business. If I'm more of a passive investor and I don't understand your industry, but I think it's cool, Dude, I'll just give you money and get the hell out of the way <laughs> yeah. and hope that you come back with something special. And your ability to see those things of like the potential of what could be special, like that's important. And going going with your gut on those things. Absolutely. I got an off the cuff question for you, and it's kind of a shot in the dark, but we're gonna go for it. What does the Japanese saying shuwari mean to you? Did I say that correctly? Close. Shuhari. Shuhari. What does it mean to you? I oh, love it. Love it. So, man. so it's one of our core values. So you know that, I hope. Um, and basically the concept, I don't know the exact words of it, but basically the concept is, is, is shoe is when someone comes in, it's like a martial arts concept, right? Is, is the concept of wax on wax off, which is don't try to come in and innovate and change things and go crazy. In the beginning, all you, I want you to do is I want you to learn the way, mm. you know, learn our way. Uh, and once you've mastered our way of doing things, the ha part is basically where you bring a little bit of your flavor into it. Yeah. 
So you've done it exactly the way we've shown you. You've held those interviews exactly like we've asked you to. Now you're bringing in a little bit of that Nicholas, yeah, some flavor. you know, swagger. You're bringing in, yeah, a little, <laughs> little flavor. You're doing it a little differently. You know, we ask you to do uh, meetings uh, on Zoom and you say, nah, I'd rather meet people in person. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we ask you to ask this question in the beginning. You find it that it's, it's better if you ask it at the end. Uh, you ask some additional questions and, and, and throw in some crazy stuff. Love that. The re part is when you start innovating. Mm-hmm. This is when you've mastered and brought in your flavor and now you're ready to teach others mm-hmm. how to how to do it your way. Yeah. In this case, you've you've took on on our way and now you've brought in things you've learned along the way, whether it's through your education, it's through groups you're part of, through books you read, or, or it's just your mindset. Um, the read part is one of my favorites, which is the innovation. The, uh, one of the reasons we came up with this is we looked back at history of hiring people. We've always hired you know, good people overall, but some of the veterans we hired, they struggled. And after six or nine months, a year, we realized like the way that they're doing it does, doesn't work. It's not our way. Yeah. And that's why it doesn't work and it doesn't feel natural. And it's very difficult to take a 20-year veteran mm-hmm. who you didn't train in the beginning of your way and now you're telling them to change everything after a year. So yet when we hire rookies, even though it's very, very challenging, after six months to a year, they're really good. Yeah, yeah. Because they started doing it our way. So one of the things, it's a core value. So someone cannot cannot say, Nicholas, we're going to agree to disagree on this one, right? So (laughs) I'm going to do it my way. And unfortunately, that doesn't work. And so that's why we made it a core value. We looked back and all the people that succeeded in a big way, what did they do? They were shuhari people. They were willing to 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 learn our way and apply it and so on and so forth. Yeah, that's incredible. I think it's such a, a good core value. And that's to the T what creating, I've been told in creating too, is like if you have, like if you wanna be a painter and you've never painted before, you need to look to people who are great painters, try to emulate that. And then once you're able to emulate that, you can start to add your style. And then from there, it's like Absolutely. free range. That's when you know you're, I don't want to say you're good, but like you have the ability to innovate, like you're saying, and actually bring more value than what you're taking from all these other things you're emulating. Absolutely. That's so good. Nicholas, if you remember, a perfect example of that is when you, when I asked you about doing podcasts, mm. I mean, you had a system, you had processes and procedures and technologies. If I came in and did a podcast tomorrow, as smart as I think I am as always, right, mm-hmm. is it? I would not do 10% of what you're doing. So if I'm going to learn how to do podcasts, I'm going to learn from the best. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to want to watch you and learn and uh, figure out your, your your style. Eventually, I'm going to do it my way. Yeah. But there's, you know, there's, there's, I got a lot to learn before I can do that. And so you hit it on the nail. And it eliminates the learning curve. I'm now I'm, I'm having flashbacks to like my first job out of college where they just threw me in and they're like, all right, there you go. And it's like, I don't even know anything that's going on here. I don't even know what you guys are all about. You exactly. know, and now there's no standard operating procedure for me to follow. Dead on. It, it loses a lot of efficiency, too. And we're doing that those people an injustice by expecting that. Uh, again, it's it's lazy, right? It's, it's I expect you to come in and figure it out. And you're not ready to come in and figure it out. You got you got a lot, a lot of learning to do. Yeah, you got to scale up. All right, Avitas, here's what I got for you. I want you to close your eyes for me. Okay. Now pretend you're a pencil in a blender. What do you do? Ah, oh, <laughs> man. Woo, you are fire, Nicholas. Um, so Nicholas is, is, is taking one of my favorite interview questions and giving it, giving it back to me, right? 
Ooh, fortunately, I have a shortcut on this, right? So Ooh. typically, what what pe- people do on this is they'll say, they'll they'll uh, get really creative or they get really in the box. Like, uh, I would I would. Why am I a pencil in a blender? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I don't know. You're a pencil in a blender. So, so you know, I, I would just jump out. Well, you can't jump out. There's a lid on top. Why give oh. up? You know, those people oh, won't man. work for us. Yeah. <laughs> they won't work for us. So if I, again, I have a shortcut, but something like, well, why am I a pencil in a blender? You know, and you're going to tell me the answer. I'm going to say, great. Uh, can I scream? And you'll say, oh. sure. Great. And I'll say, I'll scream for help. And you say, well, no one could hear you. You're just a little pencil. I'm like, great. Do I have arms and legs? You say, <laughs> no. Uh, can I use my eraser to jump? Mm. Yes. Great. Uh, you know, uh, is there a lid on top? Yes. Well, I'm not strong enough to do that. Now what? Uh, I would write help on the, oh, you know, on wow. the, the blender. Oh, wow. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, I would jam the, the uh, what's it called? Uh, I mm-hmm. would jam the blade. The, the blade. I would, uh, all kinds of things, right? So again, I don't want to give too much away, but all I'm <laughs> looking for is I'm looking for some creativity and I'm looking for someone that doesn't easily give up because our, our, why do I even care about this? Like, why do I care about a pencil and a blender? It's all made up anyway, right? It's because I want to see how playful people are. We have a very yeah. playful culture at HireCloud. Overly serious people won't do well because there's just too many jabbing and joking and goofing off that serious people will get frustrated, right? There's yeah. one, two, there's nonstop problem solving in our business. And there is no, well, I, I don't know. Well, let's yeah. let's figure it out. You know, yeah. so I want someone that's really, really creative and constantly tries new things, even if it makes no sense. Like, you know, somebody said the best answer I ever got, Nicholas, best answer ever Tell was I would take my eraser and I would erase a hole in the blender. That is a great answer. I oh thought my that was gosh. such an artist response and I thought it was brilliant. Now, again, like you can't erase a hole in a blender, but it just showed me the person was creative. And this was not the first thing they said, right? Yeah. This is yeah. after I said, whatever their answer is, I'm going to say it didn't work. <laughs> yeah. That's the whole yeah. point, right? I want to see how creative you get. Um, so that's how we got to this was to see people's creativity, their playfulness, their, their willingness to continue, uh, you know, and, and not get frustrated, to work with us, to ask questions, make no assumptions. Yeah. Oh, that's such a great answer. Erase a little hole. Mm-hmm. Right? I've been stewing on it and I'm like, man, there's so many, there's so many things that you could do. And I love the answer of writing help on the, the glass of the blender too. That's right? also super creative. It's like, it's right there. The answer's right there, right? Help. You're a pencil, right? You know? Oh, that's so good. Evitas, do you believe in the zero unread emails inbox? Um, I don't know if I believe in it, uh, but it's something that I do. Mm. And I can't say that I'm a happier person because of it. <laughs> I, I definitely think I'm a more efficient person uh, because of it. And it drives me question. It drives me crazy when there is no, when there's red, unread emails. Mm. Mm. So what I do is I have different mailboxes. So I use a product called Later. And so it moves all the things that don't seem urgent to a Later folder, uh, all the spam into spam and black hole. And then everything else I can very quickly decide three times a day, let's say, right? Delete, flag for Later, or respond right now. Um, 
and it helps me stay on top of things uh like when i go travel and things like that anytime i'm unable to keep up with my own rule it becomes a mess and it gives me anxiety uh so so like my my business partner has like 97,000 unread emails oh my and gosh it just, oh and it fresh I, I i look at his computer and it stresses me out right i'm literally stressed out looking at his emails he's in for me i have zero at all times in fact I have anxiety knowing that when I when I finish this, there's <laughs> yeah. going to be a bunch of emails that I have to go through. Um, so it's just something that I learned to do. I go and I uh, includes my clutter folder, spam folder, delete folder. I go and delete everything out that I don't need to stay sane, first of all, and to 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 respond to things that are important and to save things that I can get back to later. And my team really appreciates it because um, they will always hear back from me unless it's an FYI. How do you go about writing them? Are you are you because here's something that I uh, at my last job that really it got to me. I think emails are meant to be quick information back and forth. Correct. The brevity is really important. Are you somebody that's like, got it? Good. Sent. Or are you like, hey, so and so, thank you so much for doing this. And I just want to say, like, this is really nice. How do you ensure that your time efficiency is like in line with the time spent in answering emails? Does that make sense? Absolutely. First of all, I, I don't type extremely fast and I make a lot of errors when I type fast. So I have to be very, very straightforward and very short and simple. I do not like reading or writing long emails. Some of the best, most well-written emails I won't read because it looks overwhelming to me. And I know either I have to go all in in on this one or not. I, I just can't start. So I end up half the time just you know, pushing it back to other days. I like very short, simple emails that get to the point. And the, it could be it could be a paragraph, possibly, mm-hmm. but it has to have CTAs. I have to know what you're asking for. I have to understand, and it has to be direct. Don't pussyfoot mm-hmm. around the challenger. If you're selling to me, just be direct. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'll be direct back uh, with a response or no response uh, or more information. But I don't want a bunch of crap that that it just goes in circles from my team or from from business partners. I'm very direct. Sometimes I drive you. an email, which is not the best thing in the world to do, but you gotta just imagine what those look and sound like. Okay, period, send. Sounds good, yeah. okay, period, send. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Literally. Vitas, we're coming to the final question of the podcast. But before we do, I just want to acknowledge you for all that you're doing. I think the accomplishments you're you're, you're getting on the Inc. 5000 list is a crazy huge accomplishment. Um, I hope you're proud of that. But I also have such a tremendous amount of respect for you because of one, who you are, but also how you treat people. You treat your employees like humans and you care about them and you want to see them successful. And I think something that's lost today is that radical candor in a sense of like being honest and giving feedback. That's so crucial. And you make that a priority. So I think you're doing a wonderful job. And I'm happy that uh, I get to know you. That means that means a lot. Uh, It means a lot. Seriously, from a first of all, great character like yourself. And and two, as a human being, that to me is more important than all the accolades. Accolades are fun. Uh, it's kind of, kind of how we tally up how we're doing and the impact we're making. But the human part to me is it literally is the best, best piece. Uh, you know, my, um, my mom's a big education advocate, but no matter how much I brag about how well my kids are doing in school, the first thing she'll say, uh, and my wife are big on this too, is 
good, but make sure that he's a kind person. Make sure that she's mm. a kind person and, and, and doing kind things. And uh, we love that. And my kids are tough as nails. So uh, that we balance that with you cannot be soft in this world. Soft yeah. people get eaten alive. But you can, you absolutely have to be kind. Um, uh, you can be as tough as you want to be, but I better not hear you uh, being a bully or not being kind to people because you you could in that moment. Opposite, you step in and you advocate for who is maybe being bullied or or is not being treated well, and it's okay. Take a risk. You might lose a friend. That's probably yeah. not a good friend to start with if they're they're part of that. I've been thinking recently about legacy in a sense, and I think you're right that the accolades fade, but how you treated people and your behavior and your character and integrity, that stays with people. That's what really people hold on to after after you're gone. So I'm with you. Appreciate that, brother. The final question of the podcast is, what does it mean to live a fulfilling life? It's the meaning of life, basically, huh, Nicholas? <laughs> fulfilling life. Um, I think it just comes back to to the person themselves and their opinion what fulfillment looks like you know i don't judge if someone's form of fulfillment is making a ton of money and traveling the world by themselves and try you know attend you know going to every country in the world and trying every piece of food and it's selfish good for them if that makes them happy great if it if it's someone that wants to be a monk and give away all their money and never you know, work a day in their lives, good for them. Um, for me, it's about, honestly, it's about a, a combination of things is I do want to succeed. I've always wanted to succeed. That's very important to me. Uh, but why is the reason, right? I, I want to mm. succeed. My why is, is aligned with the kind of life I want to give to my family, right? That's extremely important. I want my kids to have a really good life. I want them to have things that I, I had and things that I didn't have. Um, mm. Um, I want to make an impact, whether it's on my employees, my clients, uh, my friends, my family, uh, or a community, a group, whatever. Uh, and I want to leave something behind that when someone looks back, it's not just money, it's not just properties or whatever that I could leave behind. It's, but it's like, what did this person teach me? What what are what are what are things that they he instilled instilled in us through whatever he did? that makes us slightly happier people and better people. Uh, mm -hmm. To me, it's a balance. I think that's fulfillment. Um, I've, had, I've had basically a lot of stress the last few weeks, to be honest with you. You could tell that by the baggy eyes and the, mm -hmm. and the tiredness. But um, every time I get really frustrated and upset and angry, uh, it goes back to like, you know, what's, what's causing this and what part of my life is misaligned. Is it mm. I'm working too long and too hard and stressed, so when I go home, I can't enjoy my kids, uh, my wife? Is it, um, what is it? Is it I'm frustrated because I can't grow as fast? And uh, and so those are things that I go back to. Like, what am I really trying to accomplish? And have I already done that? If I've done it, just take a step back and just relax. Um, obviously, I've just started my journey, but I've got a lot of lot of work to do, a lot of impact to make, and I'm just at the 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 very beginning of what I want to accomplish from a human element. I love it. That's a great answer. Evitas, where can people connect with you on the internet? Easiest way is LinkedIn. Uh, I'm very active. Um, you can find me there. Um, I think uh, just my name, Evitas Antopian. I, I believe I'm the only one in the world. Um, um, you know, so my wife is texting me, "Are you dead?" 
because uh, she's been calling me. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, Annie emailing let me just, you. Oh, let no. Let me just tell her. Andrew, I'm not dead. Can I call you right back? I'm doing a podcast, so this will be fun. Yeah, for let voice. her know. Uh, I'll call you right live. back. Isn't that great? I'm alive. Are you dead? She says. Oh, that's funny. Sorry about that, brother. So LinkedIn's the easiest way to catch me. I'm the only Santablian in the world except my nephew, but he's not on LinkedIn. Uh, nice. Um, you can find me there. My email, Vitas at HarryCloud.com. Uh, as long as it's a professional approach and it's something we're trying to accomplish together, I'll 99% of the time I will respond uh, if I see it. Uh, and that's it. I'm sure you'll see me around in LA. I'm uh, fairly active in the community and, you know, we're in Woodland Hills and our headquarters are here in, in the Woodland Hills area of LA. So you could always stop in too. There you go. Reach out to him. Say hello to Evitas. Evitas, thank you for being on the show. This was so much fun. Thank you, Nicholas. This was really, really fun, man. And I didn't even read your questions, and they were so good. So I'm I'm glad we just cuffed it. (laughs) Me too. Thanks for having me. That was the episode. You just listened to it. Avidis and Topleon giving the lowdown on not the things we want, but the things we need. Come on now. Don't forget to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Share this episode with a friend that you appreciate. It'll take five seconds and is a great use of your screen time. The real reason you're still here, you want to know the answer to the riddle of the week. What did one wall say to the other? I'll meet you at the corner. (laughs) Ooh, that's a good one. Do you under... Let me break it down for you. So walls, they meet, they connect. I think I, I think that ruins it when you... Thanks for tuning in. See you next Friday at 6 a.m. Be kind, be strong, be disciplined, be obsessed. Get after it. Bye-bye.